Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Feit, hier Stefan Bienkowski. This is the main show. And it's exciting, Stefan, we have a Bundesliga title race. We're going into the international break with Borussia Dortmund sitting at the top of the table. I told you Bayern would slip up at least one more time. There was a bad spell coming. And here it is. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite something. Um, again, I wasn't quite expecting it. But now we have Dortmund top of the Bundesliga table for the first time since August mm. 2019. Uh, wow. which is just absolutely remarkable if you think about it. It just goes to show not only Bayern's dominance of the league, but also Dortmund's um, ineptitude, shall we say, <laughs> of the last five or <laughs> six seasons. Um, but yeah, so it was a great way to end the weekend. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, it's been good. How have you been? Excellent. So like, I'm officially on holiday. Um, this is the last show I'm doing, the last bit I'm doing before um, taking a, basically a week off. Um, as I said in the past, right, this, we're going to take this rest of the week off during the international break. And I'll be back um, next week um, at some point, pretty early on properly. But yeah, it's been great. I'm up in Tofino. Um, it's beautiful up here. Some people I think that listen to the show actually know where Tofino is. Um, you know, we'll be doing some surfing this week. Um, it's a rainforest, quiet, slept 10 hours the first day I was here. It's just <laughs> incredible. But Stefan, um, before we jump into the ad, I also want to give a shout out to one of our listeners um, who's left a really great review, one of our US listeners, uh, and that's Matthew Holland. And he mm -hmm. wrote, Manu and Stefan bring a vast wealth of footy knowledge to the coverage of the Bundesliga with the Gegen Pressing podcast passionate fans first and foremost, and with an understanding of what sets Bundesliga apart from other leagues. This is my go-to part for predictions, transfers, and coaching scuttlebutt, and depth pieces throughout the year. Plus, as a German speaker myself, I didn't realize how much I needed to hear German-Canadian accented English alongside a glass vegan four times, four to five times a week, plus ask an interesting enough question, and they may just devote a whole newsletter to it. A must for any Bundesliga fan who appreciates a deeper look below the surface. Hey, thanks, Matt. That, that's, that was, uh, that's a great review. <laughs> very kind of Matt to do that, and it only cost me 50 euros to bribe him into saying all those things, so that's really quite something. <laughs> uh, I've also had some reviews over my side of the pond. I think I read somebody's out on the preview show, but I'll just kind of give them a quick shout-out again to... Balham 2023, who said, as a listener of the Bundesliga German football from England, it's a good podcast talking about all things. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Leipzig do win the Bundesliga in 2023 because East Germany and a new Bundesliga winner after 10 seasons of Bayern winning the league. Well, unfortunately, I think that's already kind of dated a little bit after this weekend's results, but still really appreciate yeah. the review. Mr. Milne, also five stars. Love the show and will continue listening every week. And he says he'd like to see maybe uh, more coverage of the smaller teams in division, which we'll definitely try and get to today. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Jonathan as Salafi, I hope I said that correctly. Uh, huge German football fan. Absolutely love the podcast. So happy. Whole happy. So happy it showed up on my Twitter. Um, also, we are in the process of trying to figure out how to view reviews from elsewhere in the world. Uh, because for some stupid reason, Apple Podcasts only let us see uh, the reviews from our country. So Manu's only seen the reviews in Canada right now. I'm only seeing the ones in the mm. UK. 
Uh, I have kind of managed to dig into the murky world of Apple Podcasts, and I think I should be able to, by the next main show, uh, be able to kind of see reviews from elsewhere in the world. So if you have left one from the US or Germany or France or whatever, um, don't worry, but we'll get some. But yeah, great. Yeah. And we'll get to more stuff after this break. This episode of the Geek Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championship, right through the Final Four and Championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use the mobile device to sign up and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Yeah, uh, Stefan, okay, so I think we have to talk about the main event. Uh, first and foremost here, the Sunday fixture. Okay, there was there was one thing that kind of irked me about this game. And, and I know you have some more things to discuss tactically. And I think um, at the end of the day, this was a tactical masterpiece by Leverkusen and Javi Alonso. And I've seen some comments on, on Twitter actually suggesting that people feel like Javi Alonso might be the new Bayern Munich coach at some point, right? That he kind of schooled mm. Julian Nagelsmann in, in this particular match. Um, I, I, while I don't disagree with that, I think that we're going to have a few more years of Julian Nagelsmann yet because I think this team is not designed to win the Bundesliga. We have said this many, many times, right, on the show. For some odd reason, the way the attack in particular is built um, just doesn't suit this, this league very well. Um, it's just mm. not a team built for Bundesliga success. And I, I we're seeing this come live in front of our eyes, which is, of course, great for the other 17 Bundesliga teams. Um, but, you know, one thing in particular irked me, and that was that Stieler, the referee, booked Artley for a dive twice. Twice! He didn't mm -hmm. do it once and was overturned. He did it twice. Um, and at both times, VER, of course, stepped in and corrected the decision and, you know, came up with the right call. What I just don't understand is like, okay, you were fooled the first time into thinking he was diving, and then you're doing you're doing it again, and both times, I mean, the second fault, Uber Meccano basically takes off Artley's shoe. It's so <laughs> easy to spot. Like he's taking his shoe off. Like how is he diving if he's taking his shoe off? I mean, that I I understand, and I think Stieler came out afterwards and apologized to Artley, but like the first time, okay, I can see it, but the second time, I I it irks me. It really really irks me because like. The, he believes the Leverkusen player is diving right away rather than maybe thinking, okay, maybe it's just Bayern Munich being clumsy in defense again. Mm. Yeah, I know. It was it was such a weird kind of series of events because, you know, I think the weird thing about, as you just said there, about him booking him again, um, yeah. I actually thought I actually thought the second penalty was far more obvious than the first one, to be perfectly honest, in real time. Um it was a really, really stupid challenge from Upa Meccano. Even if you want to argue about how much contact he makes, the fact that he feels obliged to make that slide tackle at that point in the in that play, um, it really beggars belief, to be perfectly honest with you. And that's kind of what I thought as we were waiting for the decision. I think I tweeted it out saying, regardless of what the decision is, it's such a needlessly risky move from Upa Meccano in the first place. Um but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can understand why the referee maybe thought the first one was a dive because Adley does go down quite softly. But mm -hmm. I think it's one of those kind of weird ones where Adley almost kind of has to go down to emphasize the point that he got stamped on because if someone stands on your foot, you're not maybe going to naturally fall over. You're going to say, you know, yeah. Al, you stood on my foot. But in the, in the, in the real time of a football game, you're not really... Just, you can't really denote that by... I mean, I remember one moment, the only time I think I've ever seen someone get booked for, or a referee call a free kick for, you know, a player standing on our player's foot is back in like the 90s with Thierry Henry at Arsenal when a player stepped on his foot and he just kind of stopped and just kind of hopped down on one foot 
because it obviously hurt, you know, so he was holding the foot that got stamped on. And that was only because Henri managed to basically pull away from the defender and then stopped on his own accord yep. to emphasize the point that he got stepped on, you know. So it, it was like one of those kind of fouls that if the if the attacking player doesn't make a make a point of it, then the referee might not know it. So um but yeah, to then after making that mistake, to then assume that Adley was going to dive again it's quite interesting. It, it obviously goes yep. into the kind of weird realm of how the human mind works that you would naturally think the referee would be thinking for the rest of the game. I need to have a double check. I have to be absolutely sure that if I, you know, if there's a foul invo- involving Adley again, um, I have to be 100% sure of it. And the manner in which he did make that decision was just so bizarre. It really was. Uh, but it was a right call eventually, thanks to VER. Um, mm. and I think on the whole, Leverkusen certainly deserved to win this game. You know, I don't think it was a kind of smashing grab. I don't think it's not as if they kind of defended the whole game and then were able yeah. to kind of run up the park twice and pick off two penalties. Um, I honestly thought they probably outplayed Bayern for most of this game, and it kind of reflected quite. I mean, obviously, we're talking Javi Alonso deserves a huge amount of praise for his tactics and the way his team played. And mm. if you actually, I made this point after the game that, and it's kind of something that has definitely, I think, flown under the radar this uh, since the turn of the year, just how good Leverkusen have been because that win now means yeah. they've picked up more points in 2023 than Bayern Munich, you know? So to go from a team who were kind of flirting with relegation the first half of the season to a team that are currently outperforming Bayern, not just in 90 minutes, but over the course of the last two and a half months of football, shall we say. So Alonso's definitely mm. turned something around there at the club. Um, my newsletter goes into a bit further detail, the, the, the kind of tactical breakdown of this game and why I thought Robert Andrik in particular in the base at defence was so impressive. Um, as a kind of, you know, he kind of says after the game that Alonso called him a libero, which I'm not technically sure is true. But anyway... Um, I thought him and his skill set there was great. I thought Palacios was outstanding in the middle of the park. Uh, I think he's in the top three this season for interceptions from the middle of the pitch. So goes to show how great he's been. But also, I feel like mm. the thing that really stood out to me when I watched this game was that Leverkusen did such a good job of trying to cutting off Bayern's kind of supply lines. And it felt to me like... Um, Leverkusen set up in a way that encouraged encouraged Bayern to kind of move the ball out to the fullbacks or the wingbacks who were Davies and Cancel at the time. But then once they did, they were kind of d- doubled up on. So on one side, you obviously had Hincapi and Tapsoba. Uh, and I thought Hincapi did a great job against Cancel in the first half and then Kingsley Coleman in the second half. It was actually one of the first times I've watched him this season and thought, right, I can understand why he's been linked with every top four team in the Premier League last six months because he had he was really really mm. good in the one on ones against Coleman in that in that second half, uh, and of course in the second and on the other wing you had Fringpong almost single handedly pinning back Davies and Delict because you know he's he's just got that incredible speed. If you kind of look at his average positioning over the course of the game, he's actually halfway up the Bayern half. You know, he's well past the halfway line for Leverkusen in terms of his average positioning. So he was obviously a great outlet for Bayern, but he also kind of really pinned back Davies, I felt. And De Ligt, who I thought had a pretty um, dodgy game. I actually thought all three of the Bayern defenders had quite dodgy games, to be honest with you. Um, so, no, I, yeah, I just I just thought Leverkusen were really great value for the money and they, and they deserved all three points. Yeah, I think that they, they, they kind of utilized all those points. I, I don't think by, I don't think for a moment even that Javi Alonso listens to our podcast. But if he did, <laughs> you know, all the things that I said in the preview show that I thought would hurt Bayern in this game basically came to fruition, right? That they're this really fast team that can just switch over in transition really mm-hmm. quickly. And that's the sort of team that Bayern has struggled against this season. Um, and, you know, the things that you point out, Andrich is, like, when you look at his average position, he was actually just, even though it was, like, in a three, in a, in a back three, right? He sits mm. just in front of that defense and, like, really um, just in front of that defense um, in almost in that midfield where he kind of had, like, a controlling role, um, a floating role almost, um, right? And, like, was able to fill a lot of holes. 
Um, Frimpong, who by the way leads the league uh, with the most sprints. Um, you know, that's the that's the kind of tool that you need um, to break open this Bayern Munich side. And yeah, I think you know this is just a team that was really well equipped um, to hurt Bayern Munich. And it's interesting because in the past you really didn't get that from Leverkusen much. And as you pointed out, I think when Javi Alonso, they have a head coach who. I think he's learning on the job. You know, remember when I um, wrote my big feature on him uh, in, I think that was late November, right? When they were in the US. Mm. Um, and I was kind of saying like that the trend was was going upwards and I was pointing out a few, I, I pointing out actually quite a few things that you mentioned in the, just now. Um, and they, that he definitely had turned things around. I still think that, you know, when you look at the way they've been playing lately and the way that they're searching up the table, because they're only three points behind um, sixth place Frankfurt now, um, mm. which is a is, is a Europa League spot. You have to remember, two seventh might be enough to reach the Conference League, right? Plus, mm. they actually have a pretty easy draw uh, in quotation marks in the Europa League, so they could still that's still a really good pathway for them too. And I think if they're smart, they they utilize that in a similar way that Frankfurt does. But like, they're a good team, is what I'm saying, Stefan. And um, I think that Javi Alonso. Is slowly but surely, it's it's kind of really interesting how you're seeing a person mature on the job, right? Mm. And Leverkusen are sort of slowly but surely turning into the team that he wants to be. I think they need a transfer summer to maybe even give him some more tools. But, you know, this was probably his best coaching performance yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely kind of watched the game. I can understand why people are kind of linking him to Bayern Munich because... Yeah. Obviously, he's a former player, and but he's also maybe made a smart move here in terms of his career in thinking, well, mm-hmm. you know, if I can perform at Leverkusen and I can show that I'm a really good head coach, then, you know, the links to Bayern Munich just write themselves. And yeah. we're already now talking and already kind of now considering the concept that, you know, eventually in maybe two or three seasons' time, um, when maybe Nagelsmann's decided he's done all he can at Bayern Munich, say he wins the Champions League, maybe retains it. He's like, right, I want to go take my chances at Manchester City or Real Madrid or something. It's not hard to see if Alonso can kind of continue this impressive run with Leverkusen and, you know, keeps them in the top four, gets them fighting in the Champions League, gets them, you know, to a position that maybe like Leipzig or Dortmund are right now. Then you can kind of see where... A club like Bayern Munich would quite would happily say, "Well, you know, he's clearly the astute and fan favorite appointment for us." So, yeah, Alonso's kind of played himself into a very good position here. And look, we kind of have to take this all with a pinch of salt in terms of you know, it's kind of weird us sitting here saying, "Oh, Leverkusen have done well; they're now, you know, what four points off sixth place." At the end of the day, Leverkusen have probably the third or fourth best team in the in the division. So yeah. you know, a degree as much as we have to kind of congratulate them for beating Bayern, which by the way is a huge achievement in its own right, regardless of who's in the team. But also, this is kind of Alonso getting the team back. It, the team's kind of reverting back to his mean almost to an extent. So you have to kind of yeah. take that into account as well. But um. No, I, I, I think, I think it is really quite impressive. It'd be really interesting to kind of see how Leverkusen do kind of crack on in the second half of the season because we kind of talked about this on the preview show and stuff in terms of that top four. Those kind of third and fourth places are really up for grabs right now, especially after the weekend's results where you know you had a number of teams dropping points: RB Leipzig, Frankfurt, Freiburg, and then Union Berlin bouncing back. Um, you know, it really does kind of feel like we're beginning to see a big stretch between the top two and the rest, actually. And that's why we've got this really interesting mm. title race right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we should probably then transition to what Dortmund did, <laughs> which was just absolutely remarkable. Um, there was a point in this game, Stefan, where I thought Dortmund are going to win 10 nil. <laughs> you know, it was, they were... They were on a rampage um, in this game um, against Köln, which ended 6-1, right? And I think that's because mm. they took the foot off the paddle a little bit. Um, but 36 minutes in, it was 4-0. <laughs> that was just, <laughs> just unbelievable. Um, 
Rafael Goyero, for me, the way he's been utilized now in midfield, um, you saw hints of that already against Schalke, right? A game where I think mm. Dortmund needlessly dropped points. Um, I think he's giving them a really strong option there. Um, and I think it really helps the transition game a ton. And he's he's a dangerous goal scorer there, right? Like he was always a dangerous goal scorer, I think, but because he's more central, mm. it, it utilizes more. Marco Reus had, had an excellent goal uh, and an excellent game. Marlon, who, you know, often criticized um, this season, um, contributed significantly. Sebastian Haller scored two goals. Marco Reus then, of course, scored the sixth and final goal. Um, this was a incredible performance all around, in which Dortmund, by the way, were missing some key players, right? They were mm. missing Kobel. They were missing Adeyemi. They're still missing Mokuku. They were missing Emre Scham, who this season, I think, has been playing one of his best seasons yet and rightfully being called up again to the national team, right? Mm. Um, so they were missing some really key pieces. And yet this was, I, I, I have to say, this was the best Dortmund performance this season. They were incredibly strong. And it came at a time where they were really able to put pressure on Bayern Munich. And it's funny that Bayern Munich reacted to this result the way they did. Hmm. Yeah, the one player you've actually missed out there is Sally Ozcan, who's also out with a cold uh, for this right. game. And yes. you would probably have presumed that he would have slotted into that central midfield role, even though I'm not entirely convinced by him this season. But obviously, mm. the hood comes in, and all of a sudden, you have this really vibrant and dynamic midfield trio. And I was kind of chuckling to myself uh, today, thinking about this result and you know watching the highlights and the players who stood out. And I thought, there's not a Dortmund fan on this planet who would have predicted that A, they'd be in a title challenge at this point in the season uh, and the kind of highlights reels would have Marius Wolf and Rafael Guerrero as the star players in it, you know? Uh, national obviously... team player Marius Wolf, Stefan. National <laughs> team Marius Wolf. He's called up to the German national team. And remember, I want to point this out. I, I, I really want to point this out because two weeks ago, I reported that he is on the verge of a national team call-up, and my mentions on Twitter were not nice, and mm. he's called up. And you know what? He deserves it because the guy is a baller. He's taken this position on. Like I remember when he was in the 1860 Youth Academy. I told the story a couple of weeks ago, but I'm repeated <laughs> here because like I remember when he was in the 1860 Youth Academy. There was a nut. There was a head coach called Wolf as well, and they did like this kind of Amazon like kind of Sport Eins did a documentary on 1860 mm. where they kind of followed the team around. Nowadays, it's done all the time with the Amazon Prime and Netflix and all those shows that you have out there, right? They were one mm. of the first teams to do this in Germany. And there is a scene where Wolf basically tells Marius Wolf that he is, in, is a, such an incredible baller, that he's an amazing football player. He has all the tools in the, in the world if he wasn't just lazy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he's an incredible talent. It's just He yeah. just finally found someone who kicks his ass and like actually gets the talent on the field. Yeah, and he, des and he deserves and that call up. Yeah, absolutely. I think he exemplifies his Dortmund team under Terzic perfectly well because what Terzic has done more than anything else this season at Dortmund is taken yeah. a squad full of has-beens and average players, and he's turned them all into the best versions of themselves. Obviously, mm. Marius Wolf's a good example. Julian Brandt's another one who you know a year ago or eighteen months ago. You couldn't even find a guy in a Dortmund lineup, you know, whether it's under Lucien Favre or whatever. Like, he couldn't get a game. Now he's, like, heading for potential player of the season contender. Uh, even, yeah. like, Daniel Malin coming into this team, who is a player who's had a really difficult time with it at Dortmund, hasn't quite managed to get going at all. But the fact that he's able to come on in a game like this and work his socks off is a real testament to the way that Terz just kind of got... He's keeping all these players happy. They're all fighting for the same thing. You know, Malin, with all, you know, he could quite feasibly have sit, started throwing his toys at the pram and saying, look, I've joined this club for, you know, 30 million euros. I was supposed to be the main man. I was supposed to be the next year in Sancho. What the hell? Mm. Why am I on the bench? You know, he could throw, he could, he, not that, he, I'm not saying he would justify it, but, you know, it's, it's it could have been perfectly feasible. Uh, another perfect example of that is Rafael Guerrero, who, you know, has, always been a flawed genius when it, at, at that kind of wing-back position role. 
Um, and suddenly Terzic says, well, why don't you try playing as a central midfielder? And he's been a revelation. So even like even like someone like Dahoud, who we now know is actually leaving the club, you know, he's decided he's going to move yeah. on, uh, try, try, try his luck elsewhere. But even for him to come in and play so well, um, it just kind of feels like, I know it's such a kind of oversimplification and almost like a sporting cliche, but it just feels like the morale at Dortmund is just kind of through the roof right now, you know? And... It's mm. it always undoubtedly has to come back to Terzic because he's the he's the leader he's the ringleader he's the one who has to keep these players happy, and I mean in the prediction show I really kind of worried that Dortmund might struggle in this game because they look quite leggy they're missing key players you know they're missing basically half their starting lineup, um but no these as as it has been over the course of the season these kind of backup players and what we would deem as very average Bundesliga players with all the respect, continue to kind of step in and make themselves counted. And that's why Dortmund are top of the league table right now. Yeah, I guess the question now then is, is it going to last? And, you know, before we analysed this, I actually asked um, our our readers at the Gegenpressing Substack, where we have this great... Um, chat function what they were thinking right and um mm. we got some really great responses uh, jp said depends april 1st will be the decider for me if dortmund can get a win or even a draw the title race is on but usually buy and destroy dortmund at the alliance time will tell um i responded to this one and i think i think bayern beating dortmund in this game is not going to be enough stefan because and i've been saying i sound like a broken record now but bayern half another two or three Leverkusen results in them this year. Hmm. I think Dortmund can lose this game at the Allianz and still win the title is what I'm saying. I actually think that if Bayern, if Dortmund win this game, I think it might be over. Yeah. Which is crazy to think. (laughs) I'll I'll jump in with my two cents, but read out a few more of the comments actually before, because we'll probably forget if I jump in with mine. Sounds good. So Matt Holland wrote, just when I thought Union was out of of both gas and ideas, not only do they beat Eintracht Frankfurt, everything else that needed to go right did. Save the Dortmund result, Bochum beating the construct, I guess he means uh, Leipzig, Leverkusen winning and Mainz equalizing at the last minute to force a draw, just left me flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah, not only you, everyone. Is the race on? I don't even want to predict. Dortmund look really good right now. Um, Look really good right now. And Bayern, I just can't figure out. Such an incredible roster, but massively underperforming. Can't hang any of that loss on the goalkeeper situation. Bayern, no fear, starting to look like I expected him to. What a weekend of Bundesliga. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's right. Then Sean Martis. Uh, this is the first time in years that I haven't had the overwhelming feeling of doom when B4B is away to Bayern in the following match day. If we are able to start a healthy Kobel, we're going to walk away with the win. It will also be important that Hala comes back healthy as well. He's done a lot of the little things to create for his teammates since returning. But this weekend, I feel like he was able to find his form in front of goal. Um, And then I want to pull out another one. Hold on. This one came in just now. Musiala is more than likely missing Dortmund match. B4B haven't had a good showing at the Allianz since 2014. If we have Kobel and Adeyemi back, I think we have a good chance to take the points. And from there, just don't Dortmund do it. That's from mm. Eric Bunagel. Um, and then Mike Reed says, I think we will know for certain after the first two match days post the international break as the top four play each other on April 8th. Mm. So, lots of thoughts here. There's lots more. Um, yeah. But we kind of want to throw in our own analysis. But I think my takeaway is that Dortmund can now lose at the Allianz and still have a chance. Mm. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is if you kind of look at the lineups that both teams have between the end of the season, um, I mean, Dortmund definitely do have a difficult return. They play Bayern away uh, in the Bundesliga. Then they have that Pokal against RB Leipzig. Then mm. they they play Union Berlin at the Westfalenstadion. After that, it gets a little easier. Uh, you know, they've got Stuttgart, Frankfurt, who we've talked about, kind of lost a bit of gas or lost the, the wind in the sails, shall we say. Bochum, a decent Wolfsburg team, admittedly. Gladbach, Augsburg, and then Mainz. So 
after that Union Berlin game, they're basically not really coming up against on our top four side, or even maybe a top six side potentially, except maybe Wolfsburg and mm. Frankfurt. So they kind of have a decent end to this season. Um, Bayern Munich then play Dortmund at home, uh, Freiburg away, which would be tricky, Hoffenheim at yep. home, which shouldn't be too much issue. Then they got Mainz, Hertha, Bremen, Schalke, Leipzig on the second last match day of the season, and then Cologne. So, you know, I think it's really fair to, and I, I, I do take your point that you know even if Bayern win this game, um, there's still plenty of opportunities for Bayern to kind of, um, you know, slip up. And you know, the other factors here is that they've also got two legs against Manchester City wedged in between those mm-hmm. uh, either side of that Ho- a Hoffenheim game. And you know, I think it's really interesting. Sean Martis made the point in the comments saying, you know, it's the first time in years that I haven't had the overwhelming feeling of doom when Dortmund are away to Bayern. And I think yeah. someone else made the point that it just doesn't really feel like Dortmund are about to implode like they always do. And I think that kind of, I think that comes from what I was just talking about in terms of this team playing for Terzic. I think the big difference between Bayern and Dortmund this season is that when Dortmund star players kind of fall out in terms of getting injured or booked or whatever, mm. there's players there who are happy to fill in for them. And, there's play- and the players who have filled in have more often than not thrived. I mean, we only maybe have to look at the goalkeeping situations at both clubs where, you know, Meyer's done a decent job for Dortmund since coming in. They haven't, Cabell hasn't really been entirely missed in the Bundesliga race so far. I know Meyer wasn't exactly getting the Champions League, but that's that's a different kettle of fish. Um, whereas I feel like maybe Manuel Neuer potentially was missed in that Leverkusen game, but perhaps more notably, Musiala starts that game against Leverkusen on the bench and... Kingsley Coleman too, and all of a sudden Bayern just are all out of ideas. You know, um, yeah. I felt like that front line against Leverkusen was kind of just so lethargic, and I don't know. It just kind of feels to me like um, usually it's Dortmund who are relying on two or three star players to kind of drag them through the season. You know, whether it's um, Erling Haaland last year or Marco Royce or Jane Sancho in the past or whatever else, they've always kind of been a team of individuals doing what they can. And even last season, we saw that with Bellingham and to an extent as well, even the first half of this season with Bellingham where you, mm. most games finish with him playing tremendously well, but he's got his hands on his hips looking to the heavens because, you know, Dortmund have conceded silly goals. It kind of feels to me like that that narrative's kind of flipped and it's now Bayern that are in that situation where they have some... I mean, obviously the entire team's outstanding, but if you actually kind of want to look through that start live and say who's actually played really well this season, and you could probably maybe pick out three or four players, but the issue is Bayern don't really seem to have the players who are willing to step in there and, you know, fill in for them. For you know, because for every Jamal Musiala, there's not really a player I mean, Leroy Sani can slip uh, step in. Yeah. Hasn't exactly played tremendously well. Um it's the same maybe up front to a large extent. Sadio Mane was largely insignificant in this game. We've talked about how both Kimmich and Goretzka, I think, are both having very quiet seasons. But, mm-hmm. you know, Nagelsmann seems reluctant to try someone like Gravenberg in the middle of the park. Um, so I don't know. I just, so I think, you know, the point that one of the reader, uh, com, uh, subscribers made there about Musiala being out, I think maybe the biggest issue for this game is how both teams contend with injuries and who will miss these matches because. Since yeah. the turn of the year, I think Dortmund have shown a much better capacity to handle absent star players. Whereas if Bayern do go into this game without Musiala, I think they would probably quite struggle with that. Well, there has been some suggestion online that Musiala is missing this game because Bayern are taking the title race serious, but it actually looks like he could miss the Dortmund game. Mm. Um, yeah, you're talking, about the, you're talking about international games. Yeah, the international, because he's sitting out the international games, but you know, it like it sounds like um, he tore a muscle, um, mm. and that's that's a longer issue. Um, I hope he wants he comes back because you know this. He's my one of my favorite players to watch, but he's not in this in the classica. I think it becomes difficult for Dortmund uh, for Bayern um, mm. and Dortmund. And you know what? Like I completely forgot that when I listed all the players that were out for this Köln game. Brandt was one of them too. Right, mm. he wasn't on the field either. Um, yeah, it's it's very impressive. I think both of us are eating our words a little bit from the beginning of the season, where we were very critical of Terzic. He's really mm. <laughs> pulled us around and proved his critiques wrong. And I just want to point this out: we haven't forgotten what we said at the start of the season. 
Um, it turns out that we maybe have gotten that wrong. Uh, time will tell, of course, but um, right now he has this team going like a fine oiled machine. It's in very, very impressive. It's great for the league. I think this title race is, is very, very real. Um, but Stefan, the result against Köln also has implications on the other side of the table. And I, I think we need to talk about it because we got a title race at the top. We got a t- race for Europe, which is slowly but surely materializing, right? With Leverkusen and Wolfsburg pushing uh, Frankfurt and Leipzig for those spots. But at the bottom of the mm. table, it's it's getting really fascinating at the bottom of the table too. Hoffenheim with a result out of nowhere, right? Schalke get mm. a point, um, which I think was really important for them against Augsburg. A point in this in this area is you know can be huge at the end of the day. Um, Bremen and Gladbach, which I thought was a fascinating game on on Friday, both with a huge point, which I think should be enough for them in the long term to pull themselves out of this. But from then on, Augsburg, Köln, Bochum, Hoffenheim, Hertha, Schalke, Stuttgart, they're all in it now. And it's mm. really hard to predict at the moment how it's going. Like Hoffenheim, that win came out of nowhere. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the weekend after, both Mar- Alexander Rosen, the sporting director, and newly hired Pellegrino Matarazzo seemed on their way out. They come up with a mm. result like that. Um, and it seems like all these teams down there are... One week, a big winner. Another week, all of a sudden, they do nothing. Bochum beating Leipzig 1-0. Who would have thought that, right? Um, mm. Although, before you, you chime in here with your two cents, I think kind of Bochum and Schalke are the teams on going, like are the teams that have been the most consistent down there. I know Schalke, the one point, okay, you know, that pulls them back into that relegation zone. But I just have a sense that those two teams seem to be the best equipped for what's coming ahead in the nine, the next nine match days. Yeah, I mean, Bochum have done themselves the world of good with those two wins. Mm. Both really two unexpected wins. To beat Cologne last weekend and then Leipzig this weekend really has kind of yeah. allowed them to leapfrog like, what, three, four clubs? Hoffenheim as well with a win. It just goes to show how much a win matters down there. Um, yeah. in the sense that they were bottom of the table and then pick up a win and suddenly change. And that's kind of what Schalke are missing. It felt to me in that Augsburg game that they were they almost kind of shot themselves in the foot. The goal that Augsburg scores, scores basically a complete brain fart from farming and goals and, you know, basically trying to play mm-hmm. out of back, play out of, the, out of defense, which leads to Augsburg scoring a goal. Luckily, you know, Augsburg then basically return the favour uh, in the yeah. second half with, you know, some really stupid defending for the Schalke goal, but also uh, a red card on their own as well with a, a high foot. So, I mean, Schalke were quite lucky in a sense that Augsburg kind of imploded as well in the second half. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see because, you know, we talk about this every week and we, we said on the preview show that Hoffenheim are dropping like a lead balloon right now alongside maybe Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. And then it turns around and, you know, I'm sure a few weeks ago we said the exact same thing about Bochum. Um, and, you know, there's also the concerns about whether Werder Bremen and Cologne will get dragged into it as well. So it's 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 been great because it means that not only do we have a title race in the Bundesliga this season, but we also have a really, really interesting relegation race in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, the last two or three seasons, there's usually been one team who have been notably worse than the rest of the league, you know, <coughs> Greuterfurt. <coughs> um and you know <laughs> Yeah. Or your Paderborns or whatever else you want to call it, you know. Yeah. Um but that usually kind of takes away a lot of the kind of fun of a league, you know, and I kinda of tweeted this out like last week, which was a bit of a cheeky dig at US soccer when I said, How can anyone enjoy a football division without relegation? It to hmm. me is half the half the fun of a league season. You know, it's not quite the same as like a really, you know, exciting uh, title race, but it's the, it's the next best thing for me in terms of the fun and the relegation playoffs and things like that. It's it's it, there's nothing quite like it. So, of course, you know, if you're a Stuttgart fan or a Schalke fan or Hertha, Hoffenheim, Bochum, whatever, you obviously are probably sitting there listening to this, but to me saying. Well, I'm not. I don't want this drama in my life, but I do because I'm a neutral. So, long may it continue. I hope 
you know these teams kind of keep at this until the final day of the season, and we final and we have maybe five teams that could could go down. I know that sounds quite horrible for me to say that, but that's the that's the fun of football, uh, and long yeah. may it continue. If you, but well, then the thing the best... is, I, I honestly couldn't tell you who I think will who will stay up. I'm 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 finding myself rooting for Schalke, but I honestly couldn't tell you which one of those clubs is going to stay up or not. Yeah, it's it feels like one of those seasons where someone will get relegated who felt they were pretty safe, like match day thirty two or thirty three. Mm. You know, every once in a while you have that. Like, remember? Or oh, I mean, this is this is a long time ago. I have to actually kind of remember when this was seven ninety seven ninety eight mm. uh, with Fjord and Eintracht Frankfurt scoring five goals to stay in the league, and then Nuremberg getting relegated, even though they were like thirteenth or twelfth going into the match day. And then they got relegated on goal differential. It feels kind of like it could be something like that, right? Where a team that feels relatively safe and going into the last two match days, all of a sudden awakes on Saturday on Sunday morning, finding themselves in the second division. It can happen, and it, it makes for the best drama because, like, remember to the match day thirty three, match day thirty four. All games are at the same time. They're all at three thirty, mm. right, on Saturday. And for good reason, because it makes for really good cinema. And we might actually this year, we might have that on both ends of the table, right? Um, mm. And it, in the relegation zone, it's a little bit more interesting because I wouldn't be surprised if we we go into match day 34 and there might be six, seven teams who say, we might have, we don't know if we're going to plan for the second or the first division next year. And that's great. It's, great, it's not great for them. It's great for us. <laughs> because, <laughs> and then you have the relegation playoffs as well, right? And you have a team like HSV, poor old HSV, Stefan, sitting in third place <laughs> in the second division, um, once again looking like they're throwing away um, a secure promotion spot. I don't know how they keep doing this. It's, it's just unbelievable. But, um, you know, they could finish third. And then one of these big clubs... Someone like Hertha or Stuttgart or Schalke might face them in the relegation playoffs, which, by the way, amazing. If you're not involved, like, unfortunately, my club has been involved three times. I did not enjoy that experience at all. But if you watch it as a neutral, it's great. Absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm kind of, torn i think we talked about this in maybe one of the recent um preview shows about the kind of difference between stuttgart and schalke and mm-hmm. why i'm rooting for one kind of historic club to stay up and not so much the other one and i guess it maybe just comes down to my general feeling about the sporting projects there or whatever else um mm-hmm. and perhaps just because i've kind of missed schalke a little more than stuttgart i suppose but um yeah obviously it's always going to have huge ramifications over you know who goes down and what that then leads to and i think for a club like stuttgart it could mean a real clear out as well which is a bit of a shame but no it's great and you know i think we can i think we'll definitely maybe have to start digging into like what what um i mean i say we're going to have to we i think we have done a decent job of it recently in terms of covering the teams down there i mean i did a big piece on schalke recently yeah um you know and i think i remember writing a piece about hoffenheim uh, prior to the January transfer window, which mm-hmm. is obviously some time ago, uh, and then we obviously yep. had the former sporting director from Hertha Berlin on the show. Uh, so we are trying <laughs> to shine a light on these clubs whenever we can. Uh, yep. But the honest truth is that they're all kind of scrambling for their lives. It's not as if they're all playing very neat, coherent tactical systems that we can kind of catalog and highlight. Um, except maybe, sh- for example, like a Schalke or a Bochum, or maybe Cologne to an extent. I've heard of Bremen too, actually. I did write a kind of tactical piece on them early mm. in the season, which I think still stands true. But it's very tricky. It's very tricky to kind of um, pigeonhole any of these clubs right now because, and it's and it's also why it's so hard to kind of make predictions about who's going to win what. Um, mm. I, 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 I do kind of wonder if the unpredictability of the results of the bot from the bottom six sides is because a number of those clubs in the top half of the of the table are beginning to kind of look a little tired. You know, yeah. Um, Frankfurt in particular stand out to me as a team who you could probably quite easily pick up points off right now. I know mm-hmm. they won last weekend or the weekend there, but Union Berlin were a good example of that. Freiburg have looked a little 
uh, ropey at times. And of course, we've seen Leipzig today, uh, this weekend to drop points and potentially drop out of any potential hint of a of a title challenge, you know. Uh, and even even Wolfsburg have only just kind of got back on their feet. So it, it'd be interesting to see. I, I, I think there's a very obvious cause um, correlation between the form of the teams at the top of the table and your Bochums and your Hoffenheims and your Schalkes beginning to pick up points as well. Well, you know, the obvious one to point out now is that Schalke, of course, are going to beat Leverkusen next after the international break, right? I mean, <laughs> that's... <laughs> it's in the stars. Because <laughs> that's what always happens when you beat Bayern. You lose to the next team <laughs> that you play. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, your point is really interesting because, like, Union uh, face Stuttgart, right? Um, Freiburg mm-hmm. have Hertha, um, Frankfurt play Bochum, and so these are all teams that you just pointed out that it wouldn't be beyond like if you predicted it, you would expect that Frankfurt, Union, and Freiburg would win those games, but it wouldn't be shocking if, they, if one or two of them would slip up and lose, right? Yeah, and then you have yeah, this mayhem continues. Like, and it again, it wouldn't be beyond Schalke to beat Leverkusen. I mean, it, it, we see this over and over again um, in the Bundesliga, um, and it's it's all really interesting. And I mean, like I've we've been asked on the on the on the Substack to to do some coverage on the second division. It's it's coming because like I am planning to when we get a little bit further, like over the next few weeks, I already have something lined up for, for this week for, in terms of my newsletter, but I do want to do something on HSV um, at some point this season mm. um, because they are drama. Um, they give you lots of drama, that's for sure. But also I think um, Heidenheim is a club that has been building towards this for many, many years. Um, while I think they're in danger of becoming your next Kreuter Fürth once they do go up, I do think it's a really interesting football project. Um, and it would be very interesting to see what happens if they go up and Stuttgart go down because they're in the same region, right? Um, mm. So it's a, it's a really interesting one that I have kept an eye on with a coach that has worked there now for, gosh, over 10 years, right? So um, keep your eyes peeled on that. We are planning more coverage of, of those teams further down. And also we, we have done... Um, some pieces on the second division teams like Kaiserslautern, for example, right? So, yeah, Stefan, I think, you know, this, that, that we have it's it's such an exciting season because we have to race at the top. We have to race at the bottom. This is now going into the international break where everyone gets a little bit of a breather. And then um, we have nine match days, I think, where things can change so very quickly. And I think one thing that is for certain, no one will pull back at pull away from in the top and no one will crash down in the bottom. I think it will just stay very tight. So hmm. yeah, it's been good. It's been good for the show. It's been good for anyone who likes the Bundesliga. It's, it's just great. Um, you know, maybe we could just finish up on a positive note, but it's just great to go yeah. into the international break. You, you and I can put our feet up, enjoy the Germany games, but also just think, have that thought in the back of our heads that like, got us so much to think and look forward to when the season yeah. comes back, because you know, of course, it's not always Dortmund's fault, but usually by this point of the season or just around this point, Bayern are beginning to show that kind of extra gear that they have and they begin to pull away, uh, mm-hmm. you know, teams in Germany. German teams begin to drop out of Europe, which has happened this season. And, you know, there's, I think a Bayern fan made this point to me on Twitter today or uh, last night saying, look, I know everyone's getting very excited about Bayern you know, tripping up in the Bundesliga, but let's not forget that they are the, the only team flying the flag for Germany in the Champions League, and that's a fair point. They deserve the credit yeah. for that. Um, and they've been excellent it's there. It's great to... They've, yeah, right? exactly. they've been absolutely amazing in the Champions League. Probably the best team this season. And like... Exactly. That... Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, so I think I think the, the point is that just that there's so much to look forward to, uh, and we can go into this international mm-hmm. break... Um, with you know, with with just that in mind, and, it's, and it really is great for Bundesliga fans. Yeah, and it gives us lots of ideas to write about. Uh, I pointed out a few already that I'm gonna stick my teeth or writing thoughts into. Um, especially now that I'm sometimes on my way that I get the best the best ideas um, when I'm sitting mm. on a surfboard surrounded just by waves. So I I, I have some ideas <laughs> that are already are already brewing. Um, so stay tuned on that. I know Stefan, uh, your newsletter 
this week is going to be really interesting as well. So yeah, um, check all of that out on, on the Gegen Pressing Substack. Uh, as always, this show is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, keep in mind, we're we're taking a few days off. Enjoy the national team. Um, I think I'm gonna do some stuff on that as well because it is an interesting squad, a really interesting squad um, that the DFB put together. They're very experimental, as it should be, Stefan, because um, they have no games to win at the moment, right? They're just getting ready for the European Championships that they're hosting in 2024. But it's a really mm. interesting squad, so uh, I will have some thoughts on that as well. Um, so. As I said, already having lots of ideas brewing in the back of my head of of content that's coming your way. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Go on our deserved break. <laughs> no, just as always to thank people who, we kind of said at the top of the show, but thank you so much for everyone who has left reviews. If you want to leave one over the international mm. break, I'd be much obliged. Uh, and of course, anyone who subscribes to the show as well. Uh, and it's just great that we, I know we kind of talked about it briefly on the show today, but just having that chat function on Substack and been able to offer people a place to talk about the Bundesliga that doesn't involve Twitter and spam bots and mm-hmm. you know all the nonsense that comes with that. Uh, that's also fun as well. So even if you don't want to sign up to this the Gagan Press newsletter and pay for a paid subscription, you can still sign up for a free subscription uh, and you can still take part in the chats that we have on the Substack app. Uh, I know it sounds a little convoluted and confusing, but it's it's not that confusing. Just take a look at it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, reach out to me on Twitter and I'll give you a hand with it. Uh, but yeah, that's that really. Yeah, awesome. All right, there it is. Enjoy the international break. We'll be back soon. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.